Our scripture reading will come from several places this afternoon, beginning in Exodus chapter 22. All of the readings this afternoon are in connection with Lord's Day 42, dealing with the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. So Exodus 22, verses 1 through 15. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession... Whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the very best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution." If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says, this is it, the the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them, both to see whether or not he has put his hand, uh, shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. So far from Exodus 22, then we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13, we'll read that chapter. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. 
The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. So far from Proverbs 13, now we'll turn to the New Testament to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll read verses 13 through 34. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now finally, we'll turn to the, letter, the second letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And there we'll read verses 6 through 15. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we are with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So far, the reading of God's word. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of the Christian faith and a confession adopted by this church. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 42, That's on page 557 of your books of praise, if you wish to follow along. There the question is, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does the Lord require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the theme that we've been working with so far as we've worked our way through the Ten Commandments is this idea that you find in the preface of the commandments that God has set us free from the land of slavery to be able to live as a free people. Uh, that, That sets the tone for the whole of the Ten Commandments and teaches us what these commandments are are for and what they're all about. Uh, God had brought his people out of 
a land of slavery, whether that's uh, physical slavery, but also also we saw spiritual slavery, enslaved to gods, enslaved to lies and delusions, uh, and, and God had set them free so that they would remain free to love him, serve him, and live with him. We want to continue to let that then be the big idea for us as well, also as we deal with the Eighth Commandment. That's the question we want to ask. What does this have to do with freedom? How is God teaching us in this commandment to be free as opposed to being slaves? Well, when we think about the sin of theft, uh, and of course all the underlying issues of the heart that lead to the sin of theft, hopefully it's pretty readily apparent how this relates to this big theme of freedom and slavery. It's hopefully not hard for us to see how love of money and greed or the love of possessions can be an enslaving force. We see it so uh, clearly in our own culture, whether it's the desire to uh, simply possess and accumulate money. There's that kind of greed that uh, is, is in love with the numbers, just wants to grow uh, the, the bank account. Uh, or, or the desire to have more money in order to spend it, a love of possessions. Either way, such greed, we can see it so clearly, at least in the lives of others, we can see this is slavery. They are, they are living as slaves. It's a cruel master that is never satisfied. And you see it, you see signs of it all over our culture, uh, fighting, striving to, to gain a larger income uh, and more possessions or better possessions than your neighbor. Uh, a nicer car, a bigger TV, the latest iPhone. Uh, these are all the sorts of goods uh, that our, our culture is absolutely enraptured with. And it's not hard to see how, for many, this is slavery. How many people are up to their neck in credit card debt uh, because they live as slaves to their possessions? And we can see, too, this slave master never delivers what he promises. It never brings happiness. You can chase after wealth, chase after money, uh, or chase after a bigger house or whatever, and you'll never get there. You'll never find the happiness you're looking for. It robs us of our years. It, it uh, devastates uh, so many families. It brings strife and conflict, brokenness to marriage. Uh, and, and as we see so often in our culture, it brings deep resentment between parents and children. Uh, children who never saw mom and dad because they were chasing the dream, living for the money, uh, and, and vice versa. When Once ch uh, parents are older, children abandon them because they are living the dream, chasing after their careers. Well, when we take a step back from all that then, the truth of Proverbs 17 verse 1 impresses itself upon us. Better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Is that not true? It's slavery. And so then with this commandment too, we want to be thinking about how, God, how is God calling us to be free from this form of slavery? Now we should probably begin by laying down some foundational principles relating to this commandment. Number one, with this commandment, you shall not steal, God recognizes and affirms the right to private property ownership. It might be an obvious point, but it's an important point. You shall not steal. In other words, you shall not take that property which God has given to your neighbor and God has not given to you. 
The Bible teaches and honors uh, the right to private property ownership. That might seem obvious, but it is something that needs to be defended in the church, since not only in the world, but even many professing Christians have denied or questioned uh, this this basic right to private property ownership. The 19th century saw the rise of communism uh, starting in at least nominally Christian circles. and, and communism, of course, teaches that uh, private property ought not to even exist, that all property ought to belong to the state. Uh, though, of course, in, in practice, whenever it's been implemented, it ends up being a, a small few that end up with all of the wealth. Uh, socialism as well. Uh, socialism uh, teaches that uh, although pr- individuals might own private property, the means of production, that is the workplace and the means of distribution, the markets, these means ought to belong to the state and be regulated and run by the state. You see systems like this in in Venezuela, for example, uh, and you see some elements of socialism, uh, socialist ideology in our own government as well. Uh, Increasingly, if if you're uh, a reader and you're reading magazines like Christianity Today or uh, blogs like the Gospel Coalition, you see increasing sympathy for this ideology. Now, we might just shrug this off as, hey, these are are political opinions. What does the Bible have to say about these things? Uh, But they are not political, merely political opinions. Scripture affirms not only the right to private property, uh, which means that what belongs to you belongs to you and not to your neighbor, uh, but also the means of production, the workplace, the markets uh, are held in Scripture as private and free enterprises. My neighbor's field is not my field. I'm not permitted to covet it. My neighbor's ox or donkey, these are means of production, are not my donkey or ox, and I'm commanded not to covet them. Now, that does not mean that, that uh, the right to private property is absolute. Uh, we do see in Scripture limits that God places upon it, uh, particularly in relation to land. Uh, Land, unlike money, land is a truly limited resource, and Scripture acknowledges that. There's only so much of it to go around. Uh, So if you look back in the Old Testament system, you see farmers were not permitted to to, uh, glean their fields right to the very edges, but were to leave some for the poor. Uh, They were not to go over their vineyards a second time to gather the remaining grapes, but were to leave those for the poor, the poor, that is, who are willing to work, Uh, to go and glean uh, and gain some food for themselves. Uh, Likewise, a small few were not permitted to own the vast majority of the land in Israel. Uh, Those who own the land are commanded to use it responsibly and with sensitivity to the needs of, of the poor, since all of us at the end of the day live off of the land. But no such rules are ever put in place for money or any other possessions. Although God's people were called to be generous, uh, this, was, this was a personal responsibility. It was not a law. You were not required by law to be generous to others. Something you see in the New Testament as well, if you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, in a, uh, what appeared to be a, an act of generosity, sold their possessions and gave the money to the church, but they, they privately held back some of the money. Uh, And the Apostle Peter rebukes them for this and rebukes them not for holding back the money, 
but for lying about having held some of it back. Uh, And he tells them, while the land remained unsold, did it not remain your own? That is your private property. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? The sin was not keeping for themselves part of the money. The sin was lying about it for the sake of of, of building uh, a dishonest reputation. Uh, So scripture teaches us to respect the rights of private property, which means it's never okay to steal. Now someone say, well, what if the person's rich? What if they won't miss the money? Uh, What if it's a rich corporation that I'm stealing from? Scripture is plain. You shall not steal. What God has given to others, regardless of how much else they might have, is not yours to take. There's our first uh, foundational principle then. Uh, Secondly, a second principle we want to recognize here behind this commandment is that our wealth and possessions, uh, if they are legitimately obtained, our wealth and possessions are gifts from God. Uh, It is God who gives and God who takes away. It is God who makes rich and it is God who makes poor. This is why Christians must reject any view of wealth uh, that regards uh, wealth inequality as a problem to be solved. In Scripture, it is not a problem to be solved. It is not an evil that needs to be rectified. Wealth inequality or income inequality are, are, are now spoken in public dialogue as, as evils that the government somehow, by law or otherwise, needs to fix. Uh, but wealth inequality is not necessarily injustice. Uh, some may be richer than others. That doesn't mean they, they used unjust means to become rich. Uh, money, uh, unlike land, is not a limited resource. It can be created. It can be uh, built by, uh, by work, or it can be lost by laziness or, or by natural disasters. Uh, the Lord, Scripture is clear, the Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 2, Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. God makes some poor, God makes others rich, For Samuel 2, verse 7. Uh, the fact that some people are richer than others does not mean that one group is sinning or that anything necessarily needs to be fixed. Now that is a position of envy that says, Inequality is injustice. It is envy that speaks that language, uh, and it is a language that ought not to be on the lips of Christians. Now, obviously, there are some, uh, there are some factors that might lead to inequality that are sinful. Uh, and these are things the Bible addresses. Uh, the, the Bible condemns the abuse of the poor, the oppression of the poor, or the taking advantage of the poor. Uh, Nor can we say that that rich are necessarily evil or poor necessarily righteous. When you read the Bible, you find uh, unrighteous rich and righteous rich. You find unrighteous poor and righteous poor. Uh, Consider the sluggard in Proverbs 24. The the word sluggard is is an old-fashioned word for someone who is lazy, someone who doesn't want to work. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 30, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, 
and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Well, what is that? When you look at that sluggard, is, that, uh, is he righteous because he is poor? No, he's unrighteous. He's ungodly because he's lazy. He doesn't want to work. It's not as simple as to say this group is good, this group is bad. Poverty in, or wealth in themselves say nothing about God's favor over a particular person. Now, they might be righteous, might be wicked. You find godly rich people like Job or Abraham, uh, and you find ungodly uh, rich people, men like Ahab, for example, the, the wicked king in Israel. Uh, there are godly poor people. You think of Joseph and Mary, uh, the relatively poor, simple, humble people who are godly. Uh, and you find ungodly people uh, who are poor, like this man in Proverbs 24. Wealth inequality is not the issue. Godliness is the issue. Thirdly, the, the last foundational principle we want to recognize here is that there are legitimate and illegitimate means of acquiring wealth. And that's really where this commandment is uh, coming down to us. Uh, the primary means that God has ordained for obtaining food and obtaining wealth is through honest work and righteous living. Honest work and righteous living. Man was made to work. Work is not uh, part of the curse. It's not a result of the fall. Uh, it's part of God's good created order. Uh, and it's something that even after the fall, God ordains and commands to continue. Uh, and it remains God's means both of God blessing us and us blessing one another. Uh, Proverbs 12 verse 11, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 13, verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Or Proverbs 14, verse 23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. God calls us to work. Work is regarded, work in itself is regarded as a blessing from God, something that is dignifying to man and rewarding to man, uh, the means by which God calls us to acquire wealth. In Proverbs, this is uh, contrasted with laziness, as well as with other sorts of get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, you see many of these today. Proverbs 13, verse 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Have, have we not seen this very thing uh, played out? Anyone who wins the lottery, uh, I don't remember what the average time is, but it's very quickly uh, when, by the time they reach their old status of poverty again. They haven't gained it righteously. They've gained it quickly, and it very quickly dwindles. There's a contrast then in Scripture between faithful daily work, by which wealth is steadily increased, uh, and the fool who tries to gain it by some other means and ends up quickly losing it. The Bible teaches this is the, this is the God-given way to grow our wealth, through honest hard work and responsible daily living. And here's the thing. When we embrace our daily calling, when we embrace our work, we end up, by means of that work, serving and blessing one another. That's the beauty of God's design, isn't it? My work gets to be a blessing to you, and your work gets to be a blessing to me. It's one of the first lessons, if you take any economics class, is wealth is not a zero-sum game. 
There's no limited amount of wealth to go around. Uh, it, it, wealth is created through honest, hard work. If you go out, for example, and cut a tree down and you get a saw and you shape it into a chair and you put the chair together, you've created wealth by means of your labor. There's now more value in the world than there was before. Uh, if we go into a mine and you mine out aluminum and steel and build a car out of it, you've built wealth, you've built value. And so in Scripture, by honest work, we serve and bless one another with our time and labor. And in the long run, by these means, an economy grows and, and people in it are, are blessed. It's as the saying goes, a rising tide lifts all of the boats in it. What that means for us then as Christians is we want to embrace our God-given calling to work. Uh, whatever honest and upright work that might be, we want to see that as a way of blessing and serving one another. There is no undignified nor uh, un non-essential, one might add, uh, honest, hard work. We want to work cheerfully. We want to embrace the opportunities God gives us to serve and to bless. If you get to build a shed for someone, you do that joyfully. If you get to grow food for someone, you do that joyfully. If you get to clean houses for someone, you do that joyfully. Our work is our primary means of blessing and serving others. And we get this whole thing backwards then. Here's where we start to touch down into the sin of stealing. We get this whole thing backwards if we end up working only for the money that we get from the work. Uh, and then we end up living for the weekend when we spend that money. And, and this is what so many people do. Uh, this is what, what defines the life of so many people in our culture. You live for the weekend and you work for the money. And that's slavery. You're not working to serve. You're not working to bless others. You're working so that you might be served by others. And if you had the choice, you would prefer just to get the money, which is another way of saying if you had the choice, you'd prefer just to be served by others and not have to go through the process of serving others. Well, that's the way of the sluggard. This is why as Christians then, we need to think carefully about the, the values and the dreams that our culture promotes. Uh, the, the, the dream, for example, of, of pursuing an early retirement. What does that actually mean, to pursue an early retirement? It's to say, how quickly can I get through the phase of serving others and reach the phase of others serving me for the longest amount of time? That's not what God made you for. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What that's saying is don't quit working as soon as you hit retirement age because you think I've sowed my seed in the morning. I don't need to bother in the evening. No, stay busy because God might be calling you to work and you don't know whether that might actually be the most fruitful phase in your entire life if you are willing to invest in it. Maybe that retirement provides the perfect opportunity to, to pursue areas of ministry or service that weren't available to you before. See, what happens when we approach things backwards uh, is then everything in life becomes a burden, an obstacle between us and our downtime where we're being served by others. Uh, and if that's your approach to life, you will find your life to be persistently frustrating because these obstacles, by God's design, will continue to creep up. Uh, we get home from work, 
And then there's kids to put to bed. Uh, then there's a, a honey-do list to go take care of. Uh, and we find it all exhausting because we're living for the downtime, not living for the opportunity to work, to serve, and to bless. Uh, if we approach our work biblically, we recognize God has made me for service. Uh, and then whatever downtime I get to enjoy along the way, that's a gift of God's grace, an undeserved uh, gift. Uh, and we, we end up discovering, hey, there's a lot of that grace interspersed between all of my work. Let me speak to young people in, in particular uh, on this point. To, to those of you who are still going to be choosing a career, who are looking forward to, uh, to a, a career of, of work, don't just look for the job that pays the best. Think about what that means. That's saying, I want the job that allows me to do the least amount of work to be served the most by others. Don't look for that kind of job. Look for a job where you can use your gifts to serve and bless others the most effectively. Uh, don't put the paycheck first because that's really putting being served before serving. Uh, don't also, don't be afraid of a lifetime of hard, honest work. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12, we saw this not that long ago. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Don't be afraid of a job that gets you tired uh, on a regular basis. That's part of God's design, and you will sleep very sweetly. And also, on the way to that ideal job, whatever that job might be, if you have your dream career, you're working towards that career, on the way to that job, uh, since it's not going to come immediately, do embrace whatever work God calls you to on the, in the meantime. There's nothing undignified about working in a fast food joint or, or in some other form of manual labor. By your work, you are blessing and serving others. Do it with cheerfulness and with joy because you are working ultimately for the Lord, not just for the paycheck. Well, with all those uh, foundational principles laid down, then we can finally start to make sense of the issue of theft itself and why God so detests this issue of theft. Stealing is really only the extreme example of getting this whole thing backwards. When we steal, we're sinning against uh, our, our neighbor on both ends of the equation. We're saying, I refuse to serve him. I refuse to bless him. And I want to take his service unlawfully to take his goods for myself. Now, that, that kind of stealing can take a lot of different forms. The Catechism mentions a few. Uh, there's outright theft and robbery, like break-ins into someone's home, uh, hold-ups, pickpocketing, shoplifting. This is outright theft. Uh, there's employee theft as well, stealing from your employer. But theft can take more subtle forms as well. The Catechism mentions false weights and measures. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are, are not good. It takes many subtle forms, uh, in, in, I don't know how, if it happens here, but in Brazil, uh, you, you always have to be careful buying your meats because often they'll inject water, like with a needle and a syringe, inject water into it to make it heavier uh, to sell it for more. It's the same thing, unjust weights. Uh, deceptive merchandising. There's a big one. Uh, how many people today even think that merchandising should be honest, that advertising, nobody even expects it to be honest anymore. We take for granted that they're probably lying to us. Well, it should not be that way among Christians. What you advertise should be the goods that you intend to deliver. 
Uh, counterfeit money, the Catechism mentions as well, straightforward uh, enough. Uh, usury is inordinately high interest rates uh, that, that take advantage of a person's desperate situation. One might example, though I'll be careful with this, one might example um, overcharging for toilet paper during COVID, uh, the COVID rush uh, if, uh, if you're doing it simply to make a big buck off of, off of others. That's usury, taking advantage of a desperate situation. And you might also mention things like filing taxes deceptively. Now, as Christians, we, we have a hard, one, a hard time with this because uh, we're very quick to say, yeah, but the government wastes my money or the government doesn't deserve my money or the government's spending it on, on evil things. Well, so was the government in Jesus' day. And yet Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's in, in response to the question, should we pay taxes? As well, we might mention wasting time. Time is a gift from God, and if you're employed, uh, then, then time is something that you've promised to give to your employer. If you don't spend it in work, you, you are stealing from your employer. Uh, a report on salary.com says that the average employee wastes two hours out of a regular eight-hour workday. And the main time waster, not surprising, Facebook, uh, social media, uh, means by which we, we can very easily burn time. It's theft. Uh, the Bible also talks about employers, for their part, stealing from their employees by withholding wages that are due. Uh, James 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Uh, that's finding, finding perhaps even legal ways to withhold, to, to not give uh, what your employee deserves. Uh, the, the wages of your laborers are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, we might mention other examples, uh, borrowing something and not returning it, or breaking something and not telling the owner uh, for students as well, plagiarism. Uh, plagiarism is rampant in, in public schools and university, and uh, I dare uh, say it's probably quite common even among Christian schools. Uh, no matter how common it might be, it is theft. You are, you are taking credit that you did not work for. Uh, you are presenting work that is not truly your own, and you're not doing yourself any favors uh, by doing so. Uh, we might also think of illegal downloads, something else that's so common in our generation uh, that, that perhaps all of us are guilty of at some point, whether it's music or, or movies. Uh, illegal downloading is theft. Uh, no matter how common a uh, place it might be, uh, it is still theft. And, and what does Scripture say? If you know it's sin, uh, he who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Correspondingly, he who knows what's wrong and continues to do it it is sin. The same is true of uh, just watching movies illegally online. It's very easy to find those, those sorts of shady sites. But this is something that then comes between you and your God for something as silly, as, as trivial uh, as watching a movie or, or listening to music. Don't steal. Uh, don't don't uh, dirty your conscience just for the sake of a movie. 
The Catechism mentions other things as well. God forbids all greed. Uh, really, this comes a bit closer, more to the heart level. So we've, we've moved past the surface examples down closer to the heart. Uh, greed is that unquenchable desire that, that we all feel in our hearts to, to acquire more and more and more for ourselves, to have more than our neighbor. Uh, and of course, the more you have, the more you want. Uh, and it's really totally irrational. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, prophet Isaiah says uh, to the greedy, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there's no more room and you're made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Think of how irrational that is. I must have more and I accumulate and accumulate until I'm the only person left living in the land. I get to live all by myself in my lonely life with all my stuff. That is the end to which greed goes. It's a lonely life. And it's irrational because you don't get to keep what you possess anyways. We know we can't carry them into the next life. Are we willing to spend our lives fighting, striving, cheating, lying to get what we cannot even keep? The Catechism mentions abuse as well and squandering of God's gifts. You might think of some Proverbs here, Proverbs 21, verse 20. Uh, Precious treasure and oil are found in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Or Proverbs 23, uh, verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Now, Scripture doesn't teach us to be stingy. That's not the point of such proverbs. We are to spend our money wisely. Money is not meant simply to be kept, but to be spent, and also sometimes stored to be spent later. When we squander it, though, we rob ourselves of of the ability uh, to, to spend it on greater blessings that might have been enjoyed had we spent it wisely. And not only that, in some cases, we end up robbing others if we squander to the point of becoming dependent on on others. Well, here's the the question as we're moving to the heart uh, level here. The question we want to ask is, behind all of these examples of stealing, what's going on at the level of the heart? When we steal, we are refusing the life that God has assigned us. We're refusing the life that God has given us. Uh, we're, we're choosing uh, to, to not only ignore and violate God's commandments by, by stealing, but, but the, the thing that motivates us in the first place is I reject the work, the life that God has called me to. Uh, we're saying God's, God's provision for me is not acceptable to me. I will make a life for myself. Uh, whether it's stealing or greed or extravagant living or on the other end of the spectrum, laziness and unwillingness to work, what they are all really are forms of rebellion against God, saying, I will be God unto myself. I will make it my priority to be served and, and to refuse as much as I can to serve others. And so it, it's important for us to understand, stealing is just the extreme example here. Uh, the bigger question is, What's your attitude towards God? What's your attitude towards your possessions? At the heart level, how do you see the resources that God has given you? Are you going to live with God, serving Him and serving others under His favor, uh, using the means He gives you to live honestly before Him? Or are you going to live on your own, for yourself, looking out for number one, 
where whatever you can get away with is fair game? What's your heart level? Uh, how are you doing that on this commandment? Well, maybe when we started, we, oftentimes we read the Ten Commandments and we think, well, at least I haven't stolen anything, so I'm good on at least one, one count. But the more we think about it, as God's Word takes us deeper uh, and examines the thoughts and motives of our heart, we should recognize we too, we all are guilty of transgression uh, of this sin. And really the truth is, if you want to make it even broader, all sin is stealing. All sin is stealing. It's stealing the breath that God has given us to, to use it on ungodly things. Uh, it's stealing God's glory to take God's glory for ourselves. Uh, it, it, all sin is stealing. And, and that's why the Lord Jesus commanded us to pray. When he, when he commanded us the Lord's Prayer, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he commanded us to pray, forgive us our debts. Because all sin is stealing. We owe a debt to God. Uh, we owe him because we've stolen from him. Well, here's where you and I need to hear the gospel. Christ was crucified between two thieves, two robbers. Both were guilty. Both were getting exactly what they deserved. And Jesus was the only one of the three who was not getting what he deserved. And there's only one difference then between those two thieves on either side. One of them repented, confessed his sin, turned to Christ uh, to be saved. And Christ said to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Christ could only say that because Christ was carrying on himself the wrath of God in his place for that thief. There is forgiveness then for thieves like you and me. Uh, and it comes freely through the cross of Christ. Also, maybe you ask, well, what do I do then if I have been a thief and I don't want to be a thief uh, any longer? Well, here's what we need to know. Christ died not only to save us, but also to renew us. He forgave us to not only leave us as forgiven sinners, uh, but to, to sanctify us and make us into the people that he created us to be. So what's that mean for this commandment? It means God forgave you in order to renew you, that you might go forth and serve and bless others by your daily work. Uh, Ephesians 4, 28 let him who, steal, uh, who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to the one who has need. What's the opposite of stealing? It's not just not stealing. It is working to bless and serve others uh, joyfully and diligently, and then even taking the income that comes from that work and using that too to bless and serve others. Uh, what's that look like then in practice? Uh, number one, just give a few principles. Number one, embrace the calling that God has given you. Work diligently in your daily work and do it with integrity. Glorify God. Serve your neighbor by your work. Uh, and not just by the money that you earn, but even by the work itself. Ask yourself honestly, do I work cheerfully? Do I embrace my calling? Do I see it as an opportunity to bless others? Uh, do others, do my customers or uh, my boss, as the case may be, do others sense in me that there is a desire to bless and serve them and do them good? Secondly, live simply. Live simply. It's a basic Christian uh, ethic. Live simply because the focus of our lives uh, is rejoicing in God and loving Him and others. And those are things that money cannot buy. Don't fall for the deceit of, of, of money and the attraction of a glamorous or, or lavish lifestyle. It is all going to perish. 
It always, uh, the, the chasing after wealth always disappoints. Uh, live for the greatest riches of all. It's what the Lord Jesus taught us. Store up treasure in heaven. Uh, live for the love and nearness of God. Uh, and live for the second greatest riches, which is love and fellowship and nearness with your neighbor. Uh, both of those are far greater worth than anything that money can buy. So live simply. Thirdly, use what you have, your home, your possessions, to serve others and show God's goodness to them. It's a basic Christian commandment in the New Testament uh, to show hospitality. That's in your home and also with your possessions. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, Love others through your homes and through your possessions. Our, Our money can be used as an extension of God's love if it's used rightly and wisely. Now, giving to the poor should always be done with discretion and wisdom. Uh, you don't just throw uh, money at every problem. Uh, sometimes helping does hurt, but sometimes helping helps. Uh, use your money to help, to bless others. Uh, and finally, we should finish on this. Give to Christian mission. If you want to serve and bless your neighbor, there's no greater way you can serve and bless your neighbor than by bringing them the gospel. Give to Christian mission. There's no greater gift we can give. Uh, Give not only with your money, but with your time. Pray for Christian mission. Recognize, uh, as you look out into the world, that there's a broken, miserable world out there that needs the gospel. Cultivate in yourself a passion to see that gospel reach them and to do whatever you can by your money, by your time, by your energy uh, to, to bring the gospel there. And so what all this comes down to is walk with God with all of your possessions and with your daily work. Trust in him for all that you need. Don't steal. Don't violate his commandments to get what he hasn't given you. Work in the task that he's given you and embrace that calling uh, as a gift from God. Give your life to him and to your neighbor in love and service and do it, uh, as the scriptures say, cheerfully, rejoicing that you have an opportunity to give as God your Father in heaven has also shown that cheerful goodness towards you. Amen.